said that the message is about Jesus coming to give us the truth. I think it's always been a question, but in this day and age, sometimes we might ask the question, what is truth? What do you mean? What is what, truth? What are you talking about? And you would be forgiven for being a little confused by that if you're paying attention to the, the, the sort of the, the media, the people that are out there talking, the entertainment types, the, the politicians. They will say to us, you need to speak your truth. You ever heard that phrase? Speak your truth. Yet at the same time, depending on who, who, which political party is in power and which network you're listening to, they will say to you, well, the president's just lying. Now, he might be, but by whose standard? I thought he was just telling his truth. Did you see the conflict, conflict there? They tell me that we are too, and I will tell you before I say this, that I do actually agree with this sentiment to some extent, as far as it goes. But they tell us that we are to believe women when they make accusations of um, assault that we ought to treat women as, 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 as equal to men and all these things. I mean, I appreciate that as far as it goes. But then they also, at the same breath, will say, but boys can decide if they so choose to be women. So now, which is it? How, how is this supposed to happen? How is this supposed to work? They will tell me, and again, I must caveat to say, I do agree with this sentiment. They will tell me that black lives do matter. And I appreciate that. But then out of the same breath, they will say, well, as long as that black child is not born yet, his life, it doesn't matter. But if he is born, then it matters. So which is it? Which is it? In the same spirit of abortion, I will talk about, they talk about how having children is a choice that we can have. We can choose to have them or not. But then they will tell me, if I sit down to my plate of meat and potatoes, that meat is murder. Hang on a minute. What's truth? By the way, everything I said, I did not make any of those statements up. You understand. Those are statements you will hear if you look at the media, you listen to the press. These are things they will say. So it is no wonder that trust in our institutions are at all time low. It's no wonder that people just don't understand what is truth. But that idea of flexible truth, it's not just a new thing. And it's not just for them out there either. Two of you, and somebody comes up to you and says, how you doing? What's your answer? I can tell you what your answer is. You don't, I don't even have to ask you to tell you what your answer is. You know what your answer is? Doing all right. I'm fine. Doing good. I'm falling apart on the inside, but I won't tell you about that. Which, what's truth? What's truth? We all, I can tell you, go, to, go up and down this road and randomly knock on the door and say, are you going to heaven? Absolutely I'm going to heaven. But then you examine the life and you say, well, I think you act like you want to go to hell the way you live. And we fuss about this world and the sin and the, the rampant depravity that's out there. Yet when we get the chance, we are just as likely to belly up to the bar with them swear with them, tell the same kinds of jokes with them, and be entertained by the same kind of entertainment with them, yet we will have the audacity to say, I can't believe how they act. So what is truth? What is truth? Well, I want you to know that Jesus came to set the record straight. 
He came to tell us what truth is. I can debate truth. You have your truth. I have mine. Doesn't everybody have their own truth, right? But Jesus came to set the truth, set the record straight on the truth. And this passage, in fact, you're going to see Jesus having an encounter here with a man named Pilate. That's kind of the, the thrust of this passage in John chapter 18. He's having an encounter with a man named Pilate. Now, Pilate, one thing you need to know about Pilate is that he is a, is a government official for all intents and purposes. He's a government official. Now, Pilate represents the power of the Roman Empire. That's kind of a big deal. Kind of a big deal. But I also want you to know that he was appointed to that. He was under several layers of leadership, but nonetheless, he was there doing what he was doing, doing the bidding of Rome. But what he doesn't understand is he is now about to meet the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords, the one who is the King, the ruler, by right, literal, divine right, the ruler of the universe. That's who he's about to meet. And as he comes and he meets Pilate, I just want to jump you right down to chapter 18 and verse 37. I just want you to see this first. We're going to come back and look at starting verse 18. I want you to see this here and see exactly what Jesus says. This is the, the thrust. And he says in the middle of that, in the middle of that, that verse, it says there, to this end. He's answering Pilate's question. He says, to this end was I born. This is why I'm here. And for this cause came I into the world. So this is why I have come. Speaking to Rome, speaking to the power of his day, he says that I should bear witness unto the truth. That is why he's come, to bear witness to the truth. And what's interesting is in this passage, this is what we're going to spend our time doing, starting in verse 18, we're going to go all the way back to verse 18 in just a moment. I said 18, verse uh, 28, excuse me, verse 28. We're going to go all the way back there, but starting there, you're going to see so much deception. So much where people are lying to themselves and they're acting one way but doing another thing. You're going to see this in this passage. But Jesus says, I have come to tell the truth. I have come to give you the truth. I have come to set the record straight. So if you may, if you will, let me put a second title on this message. I don't normally put a lot of emphasis on my titles, but I've been thinking on this one. So y'all be proud of me on this, this one here. But I want to give you the five lies. Five lies that Jesus came to save us from. Five lies in this passage. Don't see this very quickly, if you don't mind. Go with me to verse 28. It begins here in verse 28 that they led Jesus from Caiaphas unto the hall of judgment. This is after he had uh, been through what essentially was a mock trial. I mean, it was a, it was a sham of a trial. It was no, there was no justice in this trial. But they, they lead him from that, and it's early, it says, and they themselves, speaking of these Jewish leaders, they, would not, they went not into the judgment hall, lest they should be defiled, but that they, should, they might eat the Passover. Now, now I want y'all to listen to what just happened. These guys, these are the Jewish leaders of the day, they have arrested, or had Jesus arrested, they have put him through a sham of a trial. I mean, there's no justice in this. There's no truth in what they're doing. They're doing it all for the purpose of trying to get the Roman government to nail him to a cross. Spoiler alert, they accomplished their mission. Thank God that they accomplished their mission because God used that to save the sins of all the world. That said, these men do not have anything but murderous intent in their hearts. That's what they want. If they had their way, they would have hung up Jesus. They would have strung him up there in the court in the, in the town square right then. They would have done that. 
But look at what's happened here. They would not go into this judgment hall, which is where Jesus would meet Pilate. They wouldn't go there because they didn't want to be defiled so they could eat the Passover. Now, you and I are sitting there saying, well, that doesn't make any sense. What in the world's going on? It doesn't make sense to me because I'm not a Jew. I don't follow their, their, their laws. But what they were saying was, this building, this judgment hall, it's a Gentile place. And as a Jew, if I were to walk into a Gentile place, I would no longer be pure. And the Passover is about to come up, and I want to be able to sit down and eat Passover and participate in that event. So I can't go in there. So I'm going to make sure that I am good and I'm right in front of the eyes of the law. I want to make sure that I'm good and right. They are saying, line number one, I'm going to be okay as long as I do religious things. I'll be okay as long as I do religious things. Now, I want you to ask, answer this question. Which one's the greater sin? Is it a greater sin to go into a Gentile's house or to bear false witness against the man who's done no wrong? Which one's the greater sin? I will tell you, just as a little side note, that the, the, the idea of going into a Gentile's house, as far as I know, and I'm not that kind of biblical scholar, so please, if someone wants to correct me, please do, but my understanding is there's no direct mention in the Old Testament that you can't go and touch a Gentile's house. What would happen was, in Numbers chapter 19, there's a section that talks about touching a dead body. And they use that to interpret to say, you can't go into a Gentile's house. Now, we can, do, we can quibble over that's right or wrong. I don't know. But what I'm trying to get you to see is there's no direct statement. However, I can point you to chapter and verse, Exodus chapter 20 and verse 16. Thou shalt not bear false witness against thy neighbor. He says there that in, in, in one, of the, one of the big ten, in one of the big ten, one of the ten commandments, don't lie about people. But the other one, they have to take through a couple of jump through a couple of hoops. And we could argue if they're right or not. I'm not trying to debate that. But you have to jump through some hoops to get to don't go into a Gentile house. What I'm trying to, trying to ask you is which one's wrong? I think the problem is, well, we have the same problem. We like to focus on the things that let us justify ourselves to make us feel better. Here they were saying, yeah, I'm about to kill a man, but as long as I don't go into that house, I'm clean to Passover. And how foolish is that? But it's, it's the same way that we say, well, I go to church, so I'm okay. I give money to good charity, so I'm okay. I'm a, I'm, I, I say Christian things. I might even turn on a Christian radio station in my car. So I'm okay. All the while, we are lying, taking things that are not ours, doing crooked business, gossiping against people, having real hate in our heart for our brothers and our sisters, and including people we don't even know. I want to just let you know that Jesus came to let you know that your sin condemns you no matter how big it is or how small it is. No matter how much you can talk yourself out of it or into it or around it or up above it or underneath it, your sin condemns you. We want to lower that bar so low that all we have to do is step over it. But I want you to know you can lower the bar as low as you want to. doesn't matter. You're still guilty of your sin. 
And that's what Jesus has come to give us that truth. He came to seek and to save the lost. Luke 19, verse 10. He came to seek and to save those who are lost. He knows that you're a sinner. He knows that you have broken the law. Yet He has come to give His life as a ransom for your sin. And He knows that you need His righteousness. He knows you need His holiness. He knows you need His redemption. 1 Corinthians chapter 1 and verse 30. And that is only possible not by works of righteousness which we have done, but according to His mercy, He saved us. If He shed on us abundantly through Jesus Christ, our Savior. That's in Titus chapter 3. So the first lie is that, uh, yeah, we'll be okay as long as we are religious. And Jesus says, no, not true. Not true at all. Lie number two is that I'm not as bad as other people are. Lie number two is I'm not as bad as other people are. I want you to see from verse 29. It's uh, really interesting how these people are. These are they're coming in there and, and they're bringing Jesus to Pilate. And, the, and he looks at him and he, in, the, in verse 29, he, and Pilate went out to them. They, they, he's already met with Jesus a little bit. And they come out, he comes out to him and says, What accusations bring you against this man? Pilate's basically asking, You want me to find him guilty, but of what? What has he done? An objective look at Jesus' life. And I'm talking about just read the Gospels and see what Jesus has done. You're not talking about putting this guy on a cross. You're talking about giving him a medal. You're talking about giving him honor. You're talking about praising him. Why are we, what are we charging him with? But I want you to see the answer that they come back with in verse 30. And they answer and said unto him, if he were not a malefactor, if he weren't a bad guy, if he weren't that, we would not have delivered him up unto thee. Y'all ever heard of a non-answer answer? That's what that is. So what's, what's you charging him with? Well, Pilate, we wouldn't have brought him to you if he wasn't charged with something. But I want to know what you charged him with. Well, we wouldn't have brought him to you if he wasn't a bad guy. They're, they're simply saying here, listen, I want you to, I want to throw up a smoke screen. I don't want you to see what's really going on here. It's like whenever somebody comes after you and they accuse you and they say, and they, they kind of stick a finger on your sin and they say, you're wrong in this way. And I'll just say, he said, y'all don't want to say amen to this. I have to say, oh my goodness, this is the way I am. They stick a finger on my finger. God. And my answer to that is, well, why are you looking at what I'm doing? Don't you see what he's doing over there? Or look at this one over here. Look what he's doing. Don't you understand how bad he is? I'm not as bad as they are. That's to throw up the smoke screen. That's what we like to do. But Jesus says, I come to give, it, give you the truth. There is none righteous. No, not one. That there is only one who is just. There is only one who is faithful. There is only one who is right. There is only one who is correct. There is only one who is truthful. And He, the one, Jesus Christ, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins. Thank you, Lord, for forgiveness. Instead of saying, no, it's not me. Don't you understand how bad they are? We need to say, yes, Lord, it's me. I'm a sinner. Forgive me. Because He gives it freely. He offers it freely. But you have to acknowledge you need it. In fact, John says in 1 John chapter 1 and verse 9 that if we confess our sins, He's faithful and just to forgive those sins. But it requires confession. You know what confession means? At least acknowledge that you did it. Acknowledge what He said you did is what He said you did. If you're sitting there saying, I, I, I what me? What me? I always tell that, Lord. He's not forgiven that man. 
I just want you to know, and that's what Jesus came to tell us. That's not what he does. We have to do what the psalmist in Psalm 51 did and own our sin. Me and me only have I sinned before you, Lord. I'm the one. I'm the man. We have to take that and we have to turn it against that, that inclination that says, I'm not as bad as other people. No, it doesn't matter how bad other people are. It's me, Lord. I need salvation. Lie number three. None of this is really any of my fault. That's what most of us want to say. I want you to see this in verse 31. So, so these people have already, they kind of obfuscated with Pilate in verse 31. And Pilate says unto them, Take ye him and judge, ye, judge him according to your law. He says, Well, if you think he's such a bad guy, why don't y'all judge him? You're the Jewish leaders. You have some measure of authority. Why don't y'all do what you need to do? You take care of him your way. And look what their answer is. The Jews therefore said unto him, It's not lawful for us to put any man to death. Now, now, on the surface, this is not that bad of a thing. They're simply saying, we believe he is guilty of crime for which he should be uh, should get the death penalty. Whether, whether you think that's right or wrong, death penalty, we can have that discussion another day. But the point here is they believe that this particular crime merited the death penalty. Okay? But they said, we don't have the authority. The, the, the Roman government has not allowed us to kill people that we believe that should be killed. Now, these leaders are interesting characters because these are the same people that in Luke chapter 4, the passage we looked at last week, they were taking Jesus out on a cliff and ready to push him off. It's only by God's intervention that didn't happen. These are the same people that in John chapter 10 and verse 31 took up stones ready to throw them at Jesus to kill him. Again, only by God's intervention did they not do it. They are the same people that in Acts chapter 7, one of Jesus' followers, a man named Stephen, they would actually stone him to the point where he died because of his proclaiming the good news of Jesus Christ. And they are the ones who engineered all of this that's against the law. I don't care which way you want to slice it, what they've done is against the law. This, this mockery of trial that they've done. Yet they come up to Pilate and say, oh no, Pilate, we can't do this. That's against the law. That's just a little bit too far. Now, why are they saying that? Why are they saying it? Because they don't want to kill Jesus? No. They want him dead. They're disingenuous in what they're saying because they wanted somebody else to take the fall. They wanted somebody else to take the blame. And don't we do this? We put our foolishness off on other people. We sit back and we giggle. Maybe even rejoice a little bit on the inside because we're going to be quiet about it. We giggle, rejoice, and we take pleasure from the sidelines while other people are doing their sin, and we simply are entertained by their sin. And we take joy in what they do. The question comes down to what is it that takes your money and your time and your attention and the support of your heart? I know you don't do it, whatever that thing is, but what is that in your heart that you kind of don't mind somebody else doing so you can enjoy it? from the sidelines a little bit. Of course, in verse 32, we know that God knows our hearts. Look what he says in verse 32. The saying of that they, they did this, that the saying of Jesus might be fulfilled which he spake, signifying with death, that death he should die. In other words, God knew that these people had this in their heart, that he would that they would come up as a pilot and basically try to push it off on him. He knew that, so he used it. God is God is good at redeeming terrible situations. He used that to make sure that Jesus would die the death of the cross. He did that, but ultimately I want you to see here that God knows your heart. 
God knows that when you're sitting back and you know that it's sin, yet you are entertained by it. You know that it's wrong, yet you are putting your money towards it. Yet you know that that is wrong, yet you are profiting from it. If that is what you are doing, even though you don't do it, it's somebody else that does it, God knows your heart, and Jesus came to give us the truth. But the attitude of the heart matters as much as the actions of our hands. The attitude of your heart matters as much. Because it is from the, the wellspring of the heart that the mouth speaks, that the hands act. So Jesus came to free us from that, to say, no, it's not, it's, it really is your fault. You really did do this, even if it was just something you thought about. Line number four. I'd be better off if I had a better leader. Verse 33. Pilate, he comes to Jesus, he goes back into the judgment hall and calls Jesus and said unto him, Art thou the king of the Jews? Now, one hand, this is definitely part of his line of questioning, just to find out, if, is, he, is he committing treason against the Roman government? Is he somebody trying to overturn the government? That's part of what he's doing. But there's another part of this where he just can't believe that this is the guy they talked to him about. I, I won't read them there, but in verses 34 and 35, there's this question back and forth that, you know, where'd you get this information? Who, who told you this and all this? But clearly, Pilate has heard from people, and he knows, clearly the Jewish leaders have said, this guy's the king of the Jews. But when he sees Jesus, I want you to know what he's looking at. He's looking at a man who looks at him, not with disgust or disdain, not with arrogance or pride, but just looks at him calm and plain and simple. As, as Isaiah says, he wouldn't even put out a smoking flax. He wouldn't even break the, 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 the leaves. He, he would just just a gentle man, just standing there, gentle, the gentle man from Galilee. And Pilate's looking at him and saying, You are the king of the Jews? Really? You're not what I was expecting. I was looking for some kind of rabble rouser. Not what I'm expecting. Because this is what we want when we see, when we think about kings and leaders and rulers. We want power, strength. We want people who can, can, can lead us into whatever our choice of battle happens to be. We also want these strong leaders to fix everything, but we also want these people to be people we can blame when they go wrong, right? So, so, so think about like, things like gas prices and jobs, right? We want our leaders to fix the gas prices and give us jobs so that when they don't fix the gas prices and give us jobs, we can get mad at them. That's kind of what we want to do, even though the problems are bigger than the two presidents. Y'all know that. Do you know that, know that? Who's president is like this big of a problem? It's really bigger than that. And I don't know if I just feel in the wrong rough there, but I just want y'all to know I don't care who's the president. I really don't care who's the president because it ain't going to change. It changes that much. They're all in cahoots together. I'm going off on the change now. They're all in cahoots together. They, 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 don't, they ain't care about you and me. It's somebody else who's paying their bills. And, and that's all. Anyway, I'll go off of that. Let's get back to preaching. Get back to preaching. We like strong leaders because we like to look for them to fix our problems. And we also like to blame things on them when they don't go right. And let's make it a little more personal. We're in a church right now. We want a leader in our church, the pastor of this church. We want that person to come in and fix all of the problems. And I want you to understand that it's bigger than just who's pastor. That's not unimportant. It is important. But it's bigger than the pastor. We want to blame our inaction, our infighting, our sinful attitude. On others, not a good pastor. What? Yeah, that'd be great. You need a pastor. Don't get me wrong, but that's not going to be okay if you just get a better leader. Well, I'm talking about whether you're talking about in the state of North Carolina 
the United States of America, our fellow Christians. Jesus comes to give us the truth. He's the truth. He's the leader. He's the answer. I want you to see, look what he says in verse 36. He says, my kingdom is not of this world. This is what Jesus says. He's being questioned, is he the king? Is he the one in charge? He says, my kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdoms were of this world, then would my servants fight that I should not be delivered to the Jews. But now is my kingdom not of some hit. He says, listen, I'm going to win in the end. It's all mine. But I ain't going to fight you. That's what he said. I'm not going to fight you. He said, if my kingdom was on this earth, if I was really trying to overthrow the government, I'd have a horde of armies in here trying to protect us. But that's not what I'm trying to do. He's going to come and win in the end. In our Revelation chapter 19, beautiful picture of our Lord coming back in power and victory and glory. That's who He is. Yes, He is. But I want you to know that between this passage, John 18, and Revelation 19, there's law and there's suffering and there's sacrifice. Jesus doesn't come to fight. He comes to liberate, to liberate and to save through His death. He doesn't come to fight. You know why? Because he's got a name that's above every name that was given to him. He doesn't have to come and show anybody who's bald. Jesus doesn't have to do that. Because he is bald. Because he is the man. He is in charge. Some of us have to push our weight around just so somebody knows we're important. Y'all know people like that. Y'all might be one of those people. Jesus doesn't do that. He's not that kind. He is important. He is in charge. He doesn't have to tell anybody. The truth is, He is the King of Kings. And no matter what you think or what I think, He's got the power. He's got the position. He's got the authority. And we have the better leader already. We simply need to submit to His authority. The question we have is, we're sitting back here, well, what are you going to do for me, Jesus? What are you going to do? That's what we want from leaders, right? That's why we vote in the jokers we vote in, because we want these guys to do stuff for us. They're not going to do it for you. Just, I already did on that. I'll get off of that again. They're not going to do it for you. They're not going to do it for you. Jesus is in charge. He's in control. Our answer is to submit to him. Lie number five. I need to hurry. Lie number five. I can't really know what's true. I think this is where a lot of this world has come to in our postmodern era that we are in, and that everything and nothing is true, this nihilistic impulse in all of us that just says, you know, it's none of it's true. And we get so frustrated with everything. And I think you see this with Pilate in verse 38, because Jesus tells him in verse 37 that I've come to bear witness unto the truth, that everyone that is of the truth hears my voice. And Pilate, or Pilate says to him, what is truth? It's, it's, a, it's a very reasonable question. What is truth? And we've tried to talk about that a little bit here, but I want you to hear Pilate's exasperation when he, when he asks that question. I think there's a, there's a sense in which he, he's answering his question by asking it, saying, I just think there is no such thing as truth. It's unknowable. What are you talking about truth? Who even knows what that is? You have to understand Pilate as basically, he, he was not a good man by any measure of historical analysis of him. He's not a good man, but you also have to put him as a little bit of a sympathetic fool in that he was simply in his position and he was a pawn by everybody above him. And he was trying to work within that system. If you ever worked in that kind of a system where there, 
you know, maybe in the government or something like that, where you, know, you, you try to do what you do and you have a limited amount of control over your little area, but there's a bunch of people above you that tell you what to do and you just do what you got to do. And that's where I think Pilate may have been worn down by the politics of it all. Clearly, he's talking to Jesus, and this is not even a political thing, it's a religious thing. He doesn't even want to deal with this. He's not equipped to deal with this. And he's just he's saying it's my opinion versus your opinion versus the next person's opinion. In fact, later on in this chapter, he's going to literally go out to the crowd and say, I got Jesus here, ain't nothing wrong with him. And I got this guy who was convicted, dead to rights, needs to hang. Which one do y'all want me to want me to kill? Let Barabbas go, you kill Jesus. That's what that, it literally comes down to that for him. He doesn't even know what to believe. And his response to that is, and you see it in our world around us. You watch television and you read any books and stuff, you see this. It's sarcasm. It's just with anybody that tries to claim any kind of truth. And absolute confusion. <laughs> like I told you at the beginning, they talk out of both sides of their mouth. This is true and this is true, and there's contradictory facts. They can't all be true. Some of you really want to walk away from the very idea of truth. And you may say, well, no, Matthew, I believe in truth. I think that Christian church people, the people that I'm t- think I'm talking to today, people who show up to a, a, a conservative Christian church like this one on a Sunday morning, you are the same kind of people who will use inconsistent and self-serving logic to do what you want to do. And ultimately, it's not about truth. It's about what makes you feel good. This is another response that some of us have. And whether we're talking about things like homosexuality, or taxes, or immigration, or divorce, our musical preferences, and I could go on and on and on, and we all will go, and I can guarantee you, we will argue our position based on how we feel about those things, not based on any truth whatsoever. Now, I want to be real clear before I go any further here. I recognize every one of those things I said, there's some nuance in there. Let's just take homosexuality as an example. Let's go ahead and get the hard one out of the way. It's a sin. Absolutely, homosexuality is a sin. That's sin. That's sin. Those people that are involved in that sin are just like you and I. I don't care what your sin is. That choice of sin. We all have. We all have several. I was going to say one, but we all got a bunch. And we need people to love us, care for us, extend ourselves to us, accept them, love them, never accept them like a sin. Of course. And I could go on, but I'm saying that goes for any one of these topics. It's, there's nuance. There's, there's, a, there's, a, there's a gospel truth at the center of all these. But what we've got to get away from is reacting with sarcasm or disgust or self-interest on any of these things simply because we don't want to do, take, the, take the time to do what Jesus says in verse 37. Everyone that is of the truth heareth my voice. We don't want to take the time to listen to what Jesus says on these things. So we're just going to jump to what makes me feel good, what makes me feel less bad, what makes me, if it's my motive and my agenda. But Jesus came to give us the truth. We need to listen to him. He actually said in John 14, 6, I am the way, the truth, and the life. He said he's got the answer. We don't have to pick sides anymore. 
It's not about a conservative agenda. It's not about a liberal agenda. It's not about a Republican agenda, a Democratic agenda. It's not about a right-left. It's none of those agendas. We don't pick sides anymore. We pick the one true way, and His name is Jesus. Now, I want to tell you, sometimes when you pick His way, you might look a little right. Sometimes you go His way, you might look a little left. Sometimes when you go His way, you're going to look a little crazy. But whatever it is, when you follow after Jesus, you know you're right. You know you're true. You know you have the truth. And you know that the end result will be the path to the Father. I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh to the Father but by me. That's what Jesus says. No more picking sides, but instead following the faithful and the truth. There's a bunch of, and I'm closing here, there's a bunch of um, half-truths, fake news, and self-aggrandizement, just fluff and foolishness that you hear out in this world. And I think in this kind of, that kind of world, when you turn on the news and you can't tell if they're actually telling you information or spin, when you do that, we just need some good solid ground to stand on. At least I do. I don't know how y'all feel, but I feel that way. I'm tired of people lying to me. Tired of people trying to tell me what they think I want to hear, what is going to soften me up so I'll open my check. But I'm tired of that. What we need is the truth. We need the real kind of sink your teeth in, bet your life on it kind of truth. And I think that's the thing. Forget my thinking. The Bible tells me. The Bible tells me that's exactly what Jesus brings us to Christmas time. None of this made in China, flimsy, throw it away before it's New Year kind of stuff. That's not what Jesus brings. That's not the kind of gift He brings. He brings the real deal. He brings the real deal. So what we need to do we need to believe His truth. The truth that says you're a sinner. The truth that says your sin has done real damage to you and people around you. The truth that says your sin is your fault. The truth that says that He's the one who can fix it. And the truth that says Jesus is the one you can trust. That's what He brings. My exhortation to you as I close is simply this, believe in Him. Hear His voice. If you want to know where that's going to be, I'll just tell you. If you've got a copy of the Holy Bible, if you don't have one, there's one in the back of the most of these pews here, black, back, hard back. If you don't have one at the house, take it and take it home and look at it because everything I'm preaching about here is useless unless you know the voice of the Master. You need God's Word. You need to hear Him. You need to hear His Word and you need to embrace His truth. Turn off CNN. Turn off Fox News. Turn turn down the Internet. Turn it off. Turn all that stuff. Put your phone down. Pick up the Word of God. Hear His voice. He's giving you the truth. This is life-changing truth. This truth is what He came to the world to bring. I'm going to invite you to stand with me. We're going to close. I'm going to take just a moment to pray. But as Vanessa is playing to this song that's about to be played, I hope you'll respond in faith to Jesus. That's my invitation to you. You need salvation. 
you come and respond in faith to Jesus. So I want to pray with you. I'll have someone else pray with you if you need somebody. We want you to be helped here. If you're a Christian, you say, I'm just kind of, I don't know which way to go, which ends up. I want to encourage you to believe the one that you believe in to save you. Believe Him for your life. Follow Him. Trust Him. I want to encourage you to come and just come to Him and say, Lord, I need you to give me some guidance. I need to hear from you. I want to invite you to do that. Lord, please move among your people. You know what they need. You know how you've spoken to them. And I pray that they will take the truth that you've given to them in the person and the work of Jesus Christ. Embrace that wholeheartedly. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Y'all come. If the Lord made you, y'all come. Respond.